from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that what will happen to believers, to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an arch of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Thank you, Karen. Should we welcome Mike as he comes to preach? Thanks, Mike. Great. Well, it's lovely uh, to be with you this morning. Before I get into our subject, I just want to give you two book recommendations. I'm really sad that Goff isn't going to be here next week because this is Goff's book, uh, Hope, How a Vision of Our Internal Future Impacts Our Lives Today. It's a really excellent book. Uh, Goff, very sadly, uh, just a little while ago, lost his daughter. She got on holiday uh, with her husband and two little ones, and she became ill, and within three or four weeks, she was dead. Quite a shocking thing to face, and this is part of uh, Goff and Angie's story in here, but also with the great hope that we have in Jesus. And then the other book is uh, David Oliver's All About Heaven. A very similar situation. Uh, David uh, lost his son. His son was 38, family man, and uh, he got cancer, and he died over a long time. But through his death, it really started David thinking very seriously about what, what is heaven really like, and what does the Bible really say about it? And this is the result of his book. And both these two are really worth reading. You'll find a lot of good uh, with both of those. Okay, so we turn to our difficult and sober subject. Uh, one, of course, that we cannot avoid, because the reality is that one day, one day we're all going to face death. And if we don't face our own death, we'd be facing the death of others around that we truly love. How many people were here in 2014? Oh, look at that. That's good. I'm glad you're still here. Well done. <laughs> in 2014, we did, a, we did a little research paper amongst the church and also amongst the community. And we asked this question, what hurts the most? And in the top three answers, there was this one. Loss of someone we love or who loves us. I think I have to be honest and say that nothing really prepares us for the death of a loved one. I watched my mother die of uh, breast cancer over eight years, uh, progressively going to hospital, having treatment and so forth. And then one day I was working in the office and I got a phone call. And by this time she was in Guy's Hospital in London. 
and I was a little bit away from there, but I ran out the office and I got on a train and I shot up to the hospital. And then I was the first one in the family to arrive. I have to be careful here. I was the first one in the family to arrive, sat at my mother's bedside and stayed there for the next four hours while I watched her slowly slip away. By that time, she was in a bit of a coma, and so it wasn't able to converse with her. I just had to sit silently by her side. But I have to be honest and say I was unprepared for the weight of loss and grief that swept over me. I thought I'd be okay, but I was really swept away by the loss of my mother. And you can tell today, I still feel it. It's not easy but it's part of our life and our reality and our experience. As one writer has said, Christian belief does not deflect from the painful implications of human mortality. While death is a natural part of life, it can be unjust, unbearable, devastating. And yet God does not rest at a distance from this suffering. Instead, he shares in our pain. I'm sure there'll be many of you in the room today who have experienced the pain of loss, whether that's been in the past or it may even be a very present issue for you. And so before I get into the teaching I want to give today, I want just to read uh, a little section out of one of my favorite psalms in the scripture and then just pray for us before we look into the scriptures. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Isn't that wonderful? Father God, as we come to this subject this morning, we just want to really ask for your presence to be amongst us. Lord, you know that some of us are still battling with things that have happened in the past. Some of us in the present, we have loved ones who are sick and ill now and seems there's no way out from death. But we thank you that whatever happens to us in life, that you are there by our side. We thank you that you are the everlasting God and that your love is everlasting to those who fear you. We praise you for that. And so we just help you now, ask you to help us, Lord, just to find you in the midst of all that we're talking about today. Minister to our hearts that we may again feel afresh your perfect love that casts out all fear. Amen. Well, at the end of November 23, uh, there was a research report that got published it was called Love, Grief and Hope, Emotional Responses to Death and Dying in the UK. And the overwhelming majority of respondents had said that they had lost a loved one. But only a small number had seen a dead body or had been with someone while they were actually dying. Just under 50% did not feel prepared or ready to die themselves. And the research showed that only 47% said that they would want a funeral. In fact, the report showed too that there's a rise in popularity in what we call today direct cremation. 
A direct cremation is the term used in the funeral industry for the simplest cremation available. It's a cremation with no funeral service or ceremony beforehand. After death, the deceased goes straight to the crematorium to be cremated, usually in a very simple plain coffin. And after the cremation, the ashes are returned to the loved ones to be kept or scattered according to the wishes of the deceased. Now, the research tried to find out the reasons why uh, this direct cremation was becoming more popular. One of the answers was the financial constraints. A direct um, cremation would only cost you £1,500, whereas a traditional uh, funeral today would cost you anything from 3700 upwards. So for some people, it was a question of finances. But in fact, as they dug around, they felt it was more significant than economic reasons was religious and spiritual markers. The majority of people now have no religious faith. And so for many, the only point they can see in a funeral is just simply to celebrate a person's life. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Wilby, actually speaking about this report said, it is shocking to discover that death may be seen as expensive, time-consuming and irrelevant, and that it is better just to move on. And yet the research said that funerals could play an important role in processing grief, as unprocessed grief can be a mental health time bomb. So if we don't talk about it, we don't see it, we don't prepare for it or mark it, how can we expect the forces shaping our understanding of death to be healthy ones? Well, if we turn to the scriptures, we will have a healthy way of looking at death and bereavement. Now, it's such a large subject that I can't talk in depth about it today, so I'm just going to take four aspects of death that I want to speak to you about. Death is the result of sin. Death leads to judgment. Death is the gateway to a better life. And death does not win. Yes, we will get there, okay? Death does not win. But let's start with death as a result of sin. The Bible tells us very clearly that death entered the world through the sin of Adam. We read of that in Genesis chapter 3 in the narrative there. And do you remember how Paul comments on that in Romans 5, verse 12, where he says, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men, because all sinned. Now, by death, of course, he means both separation from God and the process of biological death. People after the fall became estranged from God and began to die. As one writer has put it, physical death is an alien part of human life that was specifically introduced into our experience through the fall. In fact, physical death is part of the penalty for human sinfulness. Therefore, the Bible is at odds with contemporary and secular views. Death is not intrinsic to human life, says the scripture. Neither is death the cessation of existence. Death has its roots not in the arbitrary working of biological evolution, but in the spiritual reality of human sinfulness and rebellion against God. Let me just digress for a moment. 
Can you remember the story in John chapter 11 of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the grave? If you know the story, you'll know that when Jesus heard that Lazarus, whom he loved dearly, along with his two sisters, was sick, he waited three days before he then went and saw her, or saw them at that time, Mary and Martha. And when Jesus met Mary, the scripture says in verse 33 of John 11, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Another way of translating could be, he quaked with rage. As he stood by the tomb of the one he loved, of Lazarus, he quaked with rage. It's repeated again in verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. And the word in the original that is used there means to roar or snort with anger, like a horse maybe, or a lion, or a bear. It speaks of a deep sense of displeasure and indignation. Jesus was painfully moved. He groaned, he groaned deep inside himself. And Jesus' anger was directed at death. Jesus saw death as an alien intrusion into his Father's good world. On some occasions, anger is a correct and right response to death. Secondly, death leads to judgment. I'm sure many of you know the popular verse in Hebrews 9:27. People are destined to die once, and after that, face judgment. Now, the wonderful thing about believers and followers of Jesus is that when they die, they enter into the direct presence of God. But unbelievers enter a place of darkness to await their final sentencing on the day of judgment. In fact, Jesus said to the crowds that were around him in John chapter 5, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. The Bible makes it clear that for the person who is not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, that there is no second chance after death to respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Makes it very clear that physical death is the end of the opportunity to repent and believe the gospel and put one's faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become part of God's eternal family. Yet for followers of Jesus, there is also a judgment. Even if we are born again of God's Spirit, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, but that judgment will not be for our sin because Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin on the cross through his death. It's one of the things we're going to remember in a moment in our communion, that he gave his body and shed his blood that we might know forgiveness of our sin. And so the judgment is not going to be for our sin. But brothers and sisters, we are accountable for the way that we live our Christian lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us 
for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's a day coming when each one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, will have to stand before him and give an account of the way that we have lived our Christian life and the obedience or disobedience that we have made to all that he's taught us. Revelation 22, getting towards the end of the Bible, it says, Behold, this is Jesus, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he or she has done. Did you know Jesus is going to reward you for the way that you've served him, the way you've lived your life, seeking to honor him and glorify him, the kindnesses that you've shown, the way that you've comforted people, the way that you've spent your finances, you know, for the good of others. There's going to be rewards. It matters how we live now. It matters how we live now. Sloppy living will mean losing out on the rewards that could have been ours. Thirdly, death is the gateway to a better life. Going to be a bit more positive now. When Paul writes his letter to the church in Philippi during his first Roman imprisonment, he tells them that he's facing a dilemma. On the one hand, he desires to depart, as he puts it, to die, so that he can be with Christ. But on the other hand, he knows it's perhaps more important that he should remain behind and still go on living so that he can teach and encourage and bring the believers to maturity. And so he's stuck in the middle. Which way do I go? And then he says, it is far better to die. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Paul says it is far better to die. Verse 21, he says, dying is even better. And in verse 23, dying would be far better for me. The word he uses here means to gain or to make a profit. In other words, Paul is saying, to die is to my advantage. It's to my benefit. It's a plus, not a minus. Is that how you think about death? That's how Paul thought about death. To die is even better. It's a plus, not a minus. We ask him, Paul, how come you're saying that? That sounds crazy, that it's better to die. So what does Paul say? To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That's why it's better. Why is it better to die? Because we shall be at home with the Lord forever. Isn't that amazing? It's a bit like the thief on the cross. You remember that day when he was crucified next to Jesus and you remember how the two of them, either side of him, railed upon him and said this and said that until suddenly one of those crucified with him realized that there was something different about Jesus whether he'd heard about him, whether he'd seen him before, but he knew there was something different about Jesus. And he said to Jesus from his cross, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And do you remember what Jesus said? I tell you the truth. 
today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Something that is far, far better than anything you can experience or know upon the earth is to be with Jesus forever. It's that much better. I'm going to uh, digress a bit. You might know that uh, the word that he uses there for paradise means a garden, a beautiful place of blessedness, a place of holiness and great happiness, but a garden. I'm digressing because there was a time in my life when I met a young lady who was working in pioneer mission in a very difficult part of the world. And I had the opportunity of talking with her. And I sat down and I was chatting about her experience. And as we talked together, she told me that while she was in a car accident, she was taken to hospital. And when she was in hospital, they couldn't save her. So she died on the slab. Only to astound the medics a few hours later by actually getting up off the slab and getting back into life, being resurrected. And I said to her, well, what happened in the meantime between when they declared you dead and when you rose again? Well, she said, I went out of my body. I said, out of your body? Where did you go? She said, I went to a garden. It was the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. And she said, through the garden, there was this clear crystal stream just running through the garden. And then this was the thing that astounded me. She said... I've never seen such vibrant colours in the whole of my life. And when she said vibrant colours, it was almost like her face lit up. You know, someone put a bulb in her mouth or something. You know, it was just, she could, you could see that she was just remembering it. That this is where she'd been taken. This beautiful paradise. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Case one or two, if you are looking around at faces, you're a bit sceptical. Let me read you some words of David Watson, the late David Watson. Although it would be a mistake to base our beliefs on the experience of those who have clinically died, but have later been restored to life, it is worth noting that those of who were Christians nearly all speak of walking into a garden full of staggeringly beautiful colours and exquisite music, so that it was with great reluctance that they came back to earth again. Isn't that great? Theologians talk of this uh, better state as being what we call the intermediate state, conscious existence of being with Jesus, place where you feel absolutely at home. It's the place where you belong, the place that you are most comfortable Haven't you been looking for that place all your life? A place where you feel absolutely at home and that you belong. Aren't people in our world today searching for a place to belong, place to be accepted, place to feel comfortable, place to feel loved? And can I say, if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus. You can know him and you can know the love and the joy that he brings into a life when you surrender your life to him. He can cleanse and take away all your sin and make you a new person. If 
for the whole of eternity. The transitive state, called the intermediate state, ends with the second coming of Jesus, when we will receive new resurrection bodies and inherit a new heaven and a new earth. Which therefore raises a practical question. If this state is so good, and if this state is so far better, should we grieve when our brothers and sisters die? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, we had the answer in 1 Thessalonians 5 that was read to us. Brothers and sisters, do we, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now you notice, he does not say that we must not grieve. But he did say, you should not grieve as those without hope. See, for the Christian, it's not a question of, do I get into to mourning and despairing? Or should I really be the other way around? I should be hoping and rejoicing. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a case of sorrow and joy coexisting. And that's what I found on my run to the station. Be careful. I can remember running to the station and all I could see was my mother in the bed. And there was a deep sadness that came over me and then a, a deep rejoicing. Because although I wouldn't see her again, I wouldn't see her until I saw her in heaven with Jesus. And there was that mixture of sorrow and rejoicing. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And I like the NLT's version of this. It says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. I love that. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. I lost two of my best friends this year. One I'd known since my teenage years, and we served God together year after year. He's a wonderful evangelist, and he died of dementia. My other best friend was one of my elders when I used to be in Christchurch. I've known him 40 years, and he died with a tumor on the brain. I know what it is to cry. I know what it is to be sorry. I know what it is to miss them. But I have a tremendous joy in my heart because I know they're where they always wanted to be. They are now with Christ. You see, he says here that we have a living hope. We must tell people that are grieving they don't need to know that it's acceptable to be sad, to be angry, to be confused, to need to talk, to have unanswered questions. Those grieving, they're all part of the grieving process. But we have a living hope. It's what the book that Goff wrote is all about. The Christian hope is not to float eternally around in heaven in the spiritual state we enter at death, wonderful though that experience may be, but to be recreated as a whole person, body, soul, and spirit on the renewed earth. For until our resurrection, we shall never be fully human. And until the earth is renewed, we shall never feel fully at home. And then the last one. 
which is the best one of all. <laughs> Death does not win. It says in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, He, that's Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. God, there's no smiles. What's the matter with you guys? He's freed us from the fear of death. What is the thing that everyone is afraid of? What our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues, fellow students, the key thing is we don't want to die. But there's no fear in death for the believer. It's going into the very presence of Jesus to be with him. And I've got to tell you this, in heaven you're going to recognise each other. You will. You'll be able to know who you are. You'll be able to identify yourself. You'll be able to identify others. I can't wait to get to see my friends, to see my mum, to see oh, so many people that have already gone on before me. It's to live in hope. One day to be with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And that wonderful statement of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, we know that the Father who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know that fear is gone? And do you know that just as God raised his son, so he's going to raise you? Why? Because you are in Christ. You are joined to Christ. When we are baptized by the Spirit, we're baptized into the body of Christ. We are joined to the Lord Jesus. What is true of him becomes true of us. And because God raised him from the dead, we shall also rise from the dead. You can smile. It's okay. It's good this, it's good this bit, you know. It really is. You know, you shouldn't be down about it. It's one of the greatest things. What a message we have. That our Jesus not only died upon a cross and was crucified for our sin, he rose again and he lives forever. And when he comes again, he's going to take us to be with himself forever. Good, good one or two praises. That's, that's really good. We're getting there. Yay! <laughs> Revelation 21 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Oh, Lord's got a lot of my tears but he's going to wipe them all away. When I see him, and when I see my brothers and sisters that I've known through the years, he's going to wipe every tear away from my eye. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death. The writer David Lawrence says, I'm inspired by a prospect of eternal life on a renewed earth where sin has been defeated in every structure of life. Politics without greed and injustice. Relationships without suspicion and lust. Music of all sorts without self-promoting performers or debasing lyrics. And dance without the provocative. Every aspect of life glorifying the Lord and resulting naturally in the praise of the creator of life. Is that what you're looking forward to? Or do you still think you're going to be on a cloud with a big harp just twanging away all day? <laughs> it's not going to be like that. 
It's a new heaven, a new earth. These wonderful things are happening, but there's no sin. What a place. What a place. Death is not our ultimate destination, but simply a stage imposed on the journey from this age to the age to come. Believe that? That's what it is. One of the songs we've been singing lately has this verse in it. When breath grows still and night draws near, I will not be afraid. I know the plans he has for me. Don't finish at my grave. Now, next time you sing that, we might sing it this morning. Next time we sing that, make sure it's there in your heart. It's a truth that we must hold on to. It won't finish at the grave, folks. There's more coming. Could we stand together? Just want to pray for us as a body of God's people, asking that we may have an outflow of this. It's not just sitting there and saying, this is wonderful for me. What about all the others that have not heard about Jesus? What about people around the world who still haven't heard of Jesus for the very first time? We have this wonderful gift and blessing from God, but he wants us to take the message of Jesus out. He wants us to be his comfort to others. Remember how Paul says, we comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. You're going to comfort someone this week? You're going to get alongside someone who's just lost somebody or whose partner or whose friend or child is on their way to death? Are you going to be there for them to listen, to share in their grief, to share in their tears? It's what we should be. Father, we ask you to make us into a loving, grieving and hoping community not shying away from the painful realities of separation wrought by death, but sitting alongside those who grieve. Help us to bear one another's sorrows and celebrate the dignity of the deceased as precious and unique in the eyes of a Father who loves and supplies life for all humanity. Keep us looking forward to the life-affirming arc of the biblical story, which does not end in death, but resurrection. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Amen.